Hello, everyone. My name is Henry Rome. I'm a senior Iran analyst at Eurasia Group, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Karen Young. Karen? Hi, uh, it's great to be with you, Henry. Um, I'm Karen Young. I'm a senior fellow and director of the program on economics and energy at the Middle East Institute. So Henry, I really am interested to get your views on what kind of an update on what's going on in Iran this week. Um, negotiations, of course, going on for the JCPOA in Vienna, but also some news about, um, you know, seven candidates approved for um, Iranian elections. So can you just give us a little little picture of what, what you see happening? Sure. It's really been a, an electoral earthquake over the past week. The Guardian Council, which vets all candidates for national office, uh, disqualified uh, all of the kind of prominent candidates who would have posed a challenge to Ebrahim Raisi, the hardliner who's believed to be the Supreme Leader's uh, favorite, both to be the president and subsequently uh, the, the Supreme Leader. The Guardian Council's decision basically ended uh, all doubt that uh, Raisi will become the next president of Iran. And that has pretty, pretty profound implications for Iran domestically, Iranian foreign policy, relations with the U.S., uh, and, and, and there's a whole kind of podcast to discuss that. But suffice mm -hmm. to say, the um, even the kind of controlled but competitive elections that I think a lot of us are used to coming out of Iran, uh, th this is a different a different ballgame. Now, now, of course, uh, this is going uh, going on in the backdrop of the Vienna negotiations. The negotiators are there in round five. Uh, and I think, you know, the, they've, they've gone after and I think probably solved a lot of the low-hanging fruit and, and are focusing now on some of the trickier aspects of uh, returning Iran's nuclear program to uh, as close to status quo ante as, as they can and ensuring Iran re uh, receives the economic benefits um, to which it's entitled uh, for making those nuclear rollbacks. And, and, and on that point, you know, the, the biggest... Uh, aspect here that's getting a lot of attention, um, especially among oil markets and and among oil producers and consumers, is what's going to happen with with Iranian barrels. That once this process is over, and I think it will will be over um, by the end of the year at the latest, uh, these barrels are going to be coming back. And and Karen, I'm 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 curious your take on where that leaves uh, oil markets. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting in the context also of these elections, how in Iran, how, you know, a lot of the conversation I, I think has been about the economy and how to, um, you know, how to get some, you know, some growth happening in Iran again. And oil exports will be a key part of that. Now, if we get to a place where um, Iran can export not under sanctions, um, they come onto a market that doesn't really need a whole lot more oil. Um, but we have seen prices sort of rebounding. There is some sense that we will see, at least in the short term, um, more kind of rebound in oil demand um, globally as we recover from the COVID pandemic. Um, but the longer term outlook is really different. Um, and this is what we've seen this week in terms of pressure on international oil companies to, uh, to diversify their business, to be more into the renewable business, and to be punished for, frankly, holding on to a lot of fossil fuel assets. Um, so this will be really interesting if Iran is in search of major sources of investment, because international oil companies, companies with investors, with shareholders, are not going to be interested in that proposition. 
A, because their you know, investor pressure has completely changed, and B, because there's going to be a lot of hesitance to, for any investor um, to get back into Iran with um, you know, the experience that we've been through in the last few years with sort of the reversal in U.S. policy. Um, so that opens a door in some ways to national oil companies and different kinds of, of players in oil markets, both in terms of, um, of capital expenditure, of, of investment in, in new fields, but also in just basic production. Um, and so this could be a strange opportunity for Iran to, um, to get into the market a little bit sideways, which frankly they've been doing anyway. Um, but, you know, we'll see. But in terms of big, you know, big major exploration, investment, revamping of equipment um, from international oil companies, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really important point that that we can generalize a bit to say that uh, in, in, in oil companies most prominently, but also you had big automobile companies, other types of in, infrastructure companies that uh, looked at Iran as a as an attractive opportunity in 2016. Uh, after JCPOA was put into place. And I think now, given the, uh, I think, political climate in Iran, the prospect of a potential snapback after the U.S. election in 2024, I think in a lot of ways, the post-JCPOA environment in 2016 is going to look a lot different this time around if we get uh, get into that situation again. So the outlook in terms of Iran's economic recovery on the political and on the investment side, we're both kind of saying not great, right? Not great. I mean, they'll get a big boost from exporting more oil, access to more of their foreign exchange. But in terms of these long-term investments that that you talked about, I think it's I think it's going to be a, 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 a much more turbulent picture. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Henry. It's been great talking with you. Great to chat. Thank you.